This is the Luther Sermon Podcast for the second Sunday in Advent, preaching on the text Luke chapter 21. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more Luther Sermons and for more information about the Luther Sermon Podcast project, please visit the website of Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. Click on Resources and Luther Sermon Podcast. We begin with the text reading Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 36. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and waves roaring, men's heart failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spoke a parable to them. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is nigh at hand. So likewise, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. Amen. Luther's Sermon It has always been God's way from the beginning of the world that when he would introduce something new, he sends great signs beforehand. Thus, when he was about to punish the Egyptians and deliver his people from their hand and make of them a peculiar people, he first sent all kinds of signs, both bad and good, as locusts, hail, boils, etc., which were terrible and destructive to the Egyptians, until at last all the firstborn were killed in one night and the rest of the people drowned in the Red Sea. But to the Jews were given favorable signs. God led them through the Red Sea on dry ground, caused their enemies to be drowned in it, gave them bread from heaven and the like. This was a sure indication that God intended to do something great with his people, to introduce a new government and order. And similar indications were given when he was about to punish the hard-hearted Jews and spread his kingdom in the Christian church over the whole earth. For when the Lord Jesus hung on the cross, the graves were opened and the dead came forth, There was also an extraordinary eclipse of the sun and an earthquake, and the veil of the temple was rent in twain. This was all a sure indication of a new order of things, that Judaism should fall and the kingdom of Christ be established and spread abroad. This divine plan, not to do anything great without sending special signs beforehand, the Jews well knew, having learned it by their own experience. Therefore the apostles here come to the Lord Jesus and ask him what sign shall precede the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the world before the one and eternal kingdom of Christ shall be established. For since they had so often heard and are now certain that he is to be a king and according to the scriptures to extend his kingdom over the whole world, yet see that his own people and especially the city of Jerusalem does still not receive him, but those who are highest in authority persecute him, They think that he must do something great in order to gain and retain his kingdom and authority and punish and cast down his enemies. They think, according to their old Jewish notions, that this will be accomplished with external might and power, 
or that he might send great signs and wonders from heaven as Elijah did, and as several of his apostles wished him to show the Samaritans who would not receive him. They now wished to know the signs and indications beforehand when his kingdom should begin and how he would introduce it, for they still had a longing after external worldly power and were still too far from the true knowledge of the eternal kingdom of Christ, which was not, after the man of the world, to rule over lands and peoples or thus make changes in the governments, but should be a spiritual eternal kingdom in the hearts of men through the office of the ministry of the gospel and by the Holy Ghost. Hereupon the Lord answers them and says, There shall indeed signs precede not only the destruction and end of the city of Jerusalem, but also of the whole world. For the temple, together with the whole city and all its government, shall, on account of the persecution of the gospel, be destroyed, and that at no distant day. But when they, those who shall live to witness it, shall see the city surrounded by a host, it shall be a sufficient sign to them that the end is near, and they must not think that they shall yet rule with him in the land of Judea. In like manner, he says that everywhere in the world there shall be signs of the end. Therefore, they should not think that he would establish a new order and government in which everything would accord with their wishes and in which there would be universal obedience to their imaginary beautiful order, but should know that his kingdom is not of this world and that the world will persecute and oppress Christ and his gospel and church until the end. The signs by which it shall be preceded did not consist in this, that he would interfere with the kingdoms by exercising external might and power, or by his appearing as lord of this world, as they then still thought that everything would be subject to him, and that everywhere in the world his Christians would rule. But only such signs shall be seen which indicate that God will, in the end, let this world perish with all that is in it. And such signs shall be seen in the sky, the sun, the stars, and the sea, on the earth, and in all creatures, so that everyone can see that in the end everything must perish together in one mass. And such signs shall be an indication to the church of God, that on earth and in the present life she shall not have temporal peace, rest, or joy, but that in this wicked world she shall have much great and severe tribulation and anguish, and shall not only be persecuted by the world without bodily protection and help, but shall also suffer most by the common punishments with which God will visit the world, so that it shall be so that it shall seem if God would suffer her to be overwhelmed altogether. To sum up, it must come to this that the church must learn not to comfort herself with this world and its life, dominion, and treasures. But to consider and know this beforehand, that henceforth it shall become worse and worse in this life, especially in the times when these terrible punishments and confusion shall prevail in the world, and that thus she shall remain in tribulation to the end. And yet amid such punishments and the destruction of the world, God will wonderfully preserve her until that day when the Son of God shall come, create new heavens and earth, cast all the wicked into everlasting punishment, and make an end of all evil for his elect." This is the chief point of the sermon of our Lord concerning the signs, which we should especially observe, so as not to trouble ourselves with the question how or when or how long or how short a time before the end of the world such signs shall take place. It is sufficient for us to learn in the first place that Christ would hereby show us that just as God has sent manifold signs of his wrath against sin and of his punishment into the world at all times, So these terrible signs shall always remain, which shall indicate and bring with them horrible punishments. But in the last times especially they shall appear in greater numbers and more rapid succession. 
Therefore, we should observe here why the Lord spake these words, for what reasons it was and is still necessary to tell and know these things beforehand, namely in the first place, that the church might know that such signs and punishments following them are not by mere chance, as the wicked world thinks, but that God has threatened them as a punishment for contempt and for all other sins, and that they are also sent as a sure indication of God's great anger and displeasure against sin, especially as they are to increase more and more in the last times, so that we may therefore be warned of the final and utter destruction of the world, since it will not forsake its sins, but in the midst of punishment continues to despise God and remain impenitent, and thus also in the end at its destruction will be found so on which account God's anger and punishments will remain over it forever. Secondly, we must know that the church of God on earth must also suffer amidst these punishments. Nay, it is perhaps more oppressed by them than others, because she also yet has sins. For God desires especially that this be known in his church, how great and terrible is his anger against sin, in order that she may live before him in fear and humility, and sigh all the more after grace. In the third place, We should also hold fast this consolation, that God will not therefore cast away his church and those who turn to him, although he suffers them while on earth to be brought under all manner of great tribulation. And even though they must endure more anguish than other people, nor is it his will that they should despair of his help and think that God will suffer them to go down and perish with the wicked amid the punishments and signs of his anger. But he allows this to befall them, to exhort everyone to repentance and conversion and especially to give those who turn to him by true repentance, faith, an amendment of life, an opportunity to exercise their faith, to call upon him, and confidently to expect help from him in the midst of their tribulation and under the cross. Even as he also frequently, both in other places and in this gospel lesson, admonishes us to pray and call upon him, and promises mitigation of the punishments and help from God, and also assures his church that she shall be preserved to the end of the world, even to eternal life. Of the signs, Christ says in the first place, that there shall be terrible signs in the sun, moon, and the whole heavens, and other creatures also in the water and the sea, which, as I think, are not to be referred to a particular time as though they should all take place within a short time before the last day and be seen only by those who live to see that day. But he speaks in common of all kinds of signs which may happen at any time in all parts of the world before the end, of which, although some, as eclipses of the sun and moon, are considered natural and are of such a nature that, by a certain knowledge of the courses of the heavenly bodies, it can be told beforehand when they will happen— Yet there are also many others which are unusual and not known beforehand, which come unexpectedly and suddenly in spite of all mathematics. Like that eclipse of the sun when Christ was crucified, which did not happen at the time when such eclipses take place by the usual course of nature. For science teaches us that it must take place at the time of the new moon, when both sun and moon occupy one position in the heavens and are so near together that the moon comes before the sun and covers it so that it cannot shine, and of course it could happen at no other time. Therefore, if any eclipse of the sun happens at the time of the full moon, or one of the quarters of the moon, as at the time of Christ's passion, it does not take place naturally, but is an especial sign. But whether such and other signs in the heaven appear in the natural order of things or not, they are still signs, and God intends that they should signify something to the world, as the eclipses of the sun and moon always do, of which we have seen many and great ones, especially in these last years, and often several in one year. Thus, especially if the end should be near, there may soon be many strange, new, and unusual signs, as in the last twenty or thirty years many strange appearances and signs have been seen here and there, 
as many strange rainbows and other signs, the cross, two or three suns, shooting stars, comets following each other, fiery heavens, the sun, blood red several days in succession, besides that which may yet daily happen. These would appear terrible if they were seen at one time or together, or if they were described and noticed at once, but since they happen singly and one after another, we soon forget them when they are past and have become accustomed to them. Second, he speaks of other signs which are to happen below in the air, in the sea, and on the earth. Such are strange and terrible thunderstorms, great and dreadful roaring and disturbance of winds, which storm and rage in an unusual manner as if everything were to be destroyed. It has happened in different places that the land together with the people were drowned or sunk, as has occurred within our recollection. Thus, during several years, we have heard of great earthquakes, of the sinking of several places in Italy, Sicily, and other places by the sea, of which Christ also speaks especially in other passages. All these are to be indications and signs that the world must soon come to an end and be destroyed, as in the case of a man who is to die. He must first begin to complain, to lie sick of a fever or pestilence. He evidently declines and falls away until his color is that of death, livid, his eyes are sunk, etc. These are to him signs that his he is near his end. Thus also the world must, as it were, first get sick and groan and creak before it breaks and goes down. In the third place, he also mentions some signs which shall happen to men, and mentions especially that men's hearts shall fail for fear and for looking after these things which are coming on the earth. This shall follow after and in addition to other signs. For such signs in heaven and in the air and water will not pass by without results, but will bring with them terrible plagues and changes in the world, of which they shall be signs. As Christ also explains this, especially in Matthew 24, that nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes, etc. All these are to prevail with great power before the last times, and are all to be signs that God will finally punish the world, nay, subvert it altogether that there shall be a great devastation of kingdoms and lands, and finally fearful division and destruction of governments, and of nearly all virtue, honor, and discipline, and everything that shall be full of fearful t tyranny, barbarism, unfaithfulness, treachery, and all manner of vice, unhindered and unpunished. As the Savior also says, that as love has waxed cold, iniquity will abound, so that everyone will have to say, it is not possible that the world will long exist thus, as we see these things at this time to such a degree that no improvement can be hoped for. All this is accompanied by those signs which Christ says shall happen to men, visibly men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For when those people who are not altogether abandoned, and especially those who are still upright, honorable, good-hearted, wise, and sensible people, shall see such wretchedness and terrible things on earth and everything becoming so bad, and when extreme want and severe punishments as war and destruction shall befall them, and they think of these things which are still beyond and must yet follow, they will not be able to bear it all, and the hearts of many will fail them for fear, as we have often seen and still see that many people in such extremity are so cast down by distress and sorrow that on account of it they die, or their lives are shortened. And this, that he says, men shall fear, I regard as a chief point, 
which we have especially also seen and experienced under the papacy, especially those people who wish to be pious and have lived a strictly spiritual life. What misery, what anxiety and torture of conscience has been caused by doctrines and commandments of men, as Christ also speaks of this in Matthew 24, among the plagues of the last time in the church, and says that many false teachers shall arise, who shall also do great signs and wonders and deceive many, and if it were possible, even the elect. We who are now old, and who were formerly buried in the darkness of the papacy, know how good pious hearts were terrified and driven to the verge of despair by the Pope's command, who through his monks laid innumerable snares for consciences, which they caused causus conscientiae, which they filled with great books, setting forth how great a mortal sin it is to not seek keep such commands, as when a monk did not at all times strictly and in every respect keep and observe his adopted rule and order, or when merely through forgetfulness he did not put his cowl on according to rule, or a priest did not read his prayers, which they call oras, or as when he was to celebrate mass allowed himself to take a drop or two of water, or when one did not make a full a confession of each and every sin, or did not fast as strictly as he should, and thus went to the sacrament, or did not render the imposed satisfaction, etc. With such things, timid and fearful consciences were so terrified that no one knew how to help them. And even when, with the greatest diligence, they had done all that they possibly could do, they could still not be satisfied because they thought that they had not done enough. So they ran hither and thither, here to this saint, there to another, to Rome, to St. James at Compostelle, some unprotected and barefoot, others also in their armor, and here and there on new pilgrimages, especially to places where the Virgin Mary, as the shameless monks and priests devised, would be gracious, do wonders, etc., until it came so far that the common people, nay, even princes and lords, persuaded by the monks, had themselves enrolled in their orders when dead and buried in a monk's cap. And thus, without ceasing, they tortured their poor consciences with their works, that I do not believe there ever could have been greater distress and anguish, as I myself have seen many who could not endure such dread and fear of the terrible judgment of God, and on account of it gave themselves up to despair. The reason of all this was that the doctrine of the gospel and the true consolation in Christ had become darkened in the pulpits, nay, gone out altogether, and no one knew anything about the doctrine of faith, through which forgiveness of sins is promised us in the scripture, not on account of our merit, but for Christ's sake, through grace. The Pope's sermons had brought it so far that we feared Christ almost as death, because they showed him in him no grace nor consolation, but represented him as an angry, terrible judge, before whom no man could find grace, unless he had enough holiness or good works of his own, or intercessions of the Virgin Mary or other saints to cover up all his sins. For I also was one of those who called upon the Virgin Mary, that she might be our mediator and reconcile us with the strict judge, Christ as also in all churches scarcely anything else but such idolatry, which now they pretend to have forgotten, as though they never had any error or idolatry, was publicly taught, read, and sung. Everywhere the prayer for the intercession of Mary was first, and then they had special auras, which they observed and sung to Mary seven times a day, in which they all always repeated especially this verse, which they also repeated to the people on their deathbed, and called it to their ears as they were giving up the ghost, Maria Mater Grate, tu nos ab hoste protege, in ora mortis suspicie. That is, Mary, Mother of Grace, protect us against the enemy. Receive us in the hour of our death. Everywhere the burden of all the prayers and sighs, even of the holy monks, was thus, Help 
thou dear mother of God, and intercede for us against the severe judgment of thy holy Son, else our souls have no comfort, nor help, nor refuge. Now this was a terrible dread and anguish, which only false doctrine begets, and which must not which which must follow if we would be pious, and yet not have the true knowledge of the doctrine of the gospel. But now, thanks be to God, since the pure doctrine and consolation in Christ shines forth, such anguish is past, but alas, too soon forgotten. For the young people who now grow up know nothing of it, and the papists themselves have received so much strength from our doctrine that they have got rid of such anguish and fear, and are now good fellows, belonging to those who regard neither God's grace and consolation, neither the terrible signs of the last day and this judgment. For these were surely terrible signs that such anguish and distress were in the church, and we should not so soon forget them. For although, as I hope, they are mostly past, they may happen again if the world will not be truly thankful for the gospel, but will strive, as the papists are now doing, again to darken and suppress the word of God, that there may be again be greater distress." Now those in whom such anguish and terror were found were generally not ungodly and abandoned, but good-hearted, pious, God-fearing people, and still are, so that those are not signs of condemnation, for it is a good sign that such hearts do not despise God's anger, but heed the warning of future judgment and sigh after such consolation and deliverance. And we may well believe that many of them are wonderfully preserved in their last hour who have, had, who have again laid hold upon Christ and comforted themselves in his suffering and death. But since they are so weak, timid, and uninstructed, they cannot endure all these terrors. So we said above that such terror and misery in the world mostly fall upon the church and cause her anguish, and that some, though they are not overcome by it so as to despair of Christ altogether, are still very much weakened and almost consumed by such burdens. Therefore, although they must bear and feel such signs, they are sent as a terror, not to them, but to the wicked, who nevertheless are so hardened and secure that they care nothing for such divine threats and signs, but despise them. They imagine that as God does not follow them up immediately with his wrath and turn the whole world upside down, but grants them a little time, there is no particular danger. And if we tell them much about signs, they themselves see today this, tomorrow something else, they let it pass by and say, Such signs happen formally, and the last day has not come yet. Therefore also the Lord lets such ungodly people go, and further preaches of his coming for the consolation of Christians. For if the world can despise the terrible signs and punishments which it sees, it will pay still less heed to this preaching and threatening, but it will serve to leave many without excuse, and their condemnation will be rendered all the greater by their own conscience. But since they will not believe when it is preached to them, it will come to this, that they must see and feel when the day of judgment shall suddenly come upon them, as Christ says, then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. This will be a splendor and glory, different from that of all emperors and kings on earth, of which they would not before have been persuaded, although he should incessantly have threatened with signs every day. For then the whole air shall be filled with elect angels and sainted men, everywhere hovering in the cl clouds around the Lord. They shall be brighter than the sun, and he, the Lord, and all the saints with him, will pass sentence upon the damned who will stand trembling below on the earth with the devil, and have their punishment with everlasting destruction from the presence of the glory of the Son of God, whom they would not acknowledge, and whose word they despised, as St. Paul says, Second Thessalonians chapter 1. But that to the Christians who believe 
and wait for such signs in the coming of our Lord into judgment, all this happens for comfort and salvation. The Savior says further, When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. This is a very precious consolation with which Christ would kindly comfort his Christians on earth who at all events suffer much and many kinds of anguish and trouble and terror on account of the signs of the final judgment besides. He explains the signs in quite a different way for them and would have them look upon them otherwise than they are naturally looked upon. For although it is true that God shows his church such signs and lets them see and feel the punishments that they may, in the first place, thereby be admonished to repentance, that is, that they may not, like others, despise his anger, in the second place, that they may know that in this life they must always be under the cross and tribulation in order that they may hate sin, think upon and wait for another life where all evil shall cease, and that in such tribulation they may call upon and sigh to their Savior for deliverance. Yet all these signs shall serve also to comfort the church of God, that those who are in the church may perceive and know that God therewith threatens the wicked world, and the judgment will surely follow. When the wicked world shall receive eternal pain and torture, but they shall be delivered through their Savior, the Son of God, and enter into eternal joy. Wherefore, under the terrible image of the signs and tribulations which came upon the earth, they are to await the coming of the Son of God, full of comfort and joy. Therefore, he gives them an interpretation of these signs, which is full of comfort. I know well, he says, that such signs will terrify you and make you afraid, so that it shall seem as though I had altogether forgotten you in my church, and as though I would let you perish together with the world. But I say unto you, when you see such signs, and they would terrify you, that is, as my Christians, you shall prepare yourselves for my coming by waiting for it, full of comfort and joy, lifting up your hearts as those who heartily desire my appearing. And with all you shall know this, that when the signs appear most terrible, and the distress on earth is greatest, then I am nearest you, and your redemption is at hand. Therefore also, under this dreadful appearance, you all are to see nothing but your redemption. Let the others be frightened and fear, who know of no redemption and care nothing for me. But you who believe in me, who have suffered for my sake and live and die in this faith and confession, you have no wrath and punishment to look for, but shall find your salvation and joyful deliverance which you have so long desired and prayed for when you asked that my kingdom might come to you and that you might be free from sin and delivered from all evil. Therefore, although the sign shall appear fearful and terrible to you, when the sun and moon shall be changed and all creatures are mingled in confusion and finally the world itself is full of fire, yet you shall not judge by such appearance, but know that this indicates something different, nay, the very opposite to you from what it does to the ungodly world, which together with its prince, the devil, persecutes you and does not fear the future judgment. These signs will be and bring to them what they seem and indicate to the world by their terrible appearance that the day of judgment shall be to them a day of eternal mourning, weeping, gnashing of teeth, nay, of their damnation and hell, which they will not believe nor regard until they experience it. But to you, whom this dreadful scene now terrifies, it shall show and bring nothing but deliverance. And the day of my appearing shall be a day of eternal joy and salvation." For I know that you need such redemption, and in order that you may have it, I must come thus and make an end of the world. For if I am to deliver you, I must first attack those who hold you captive and hinder your redemption. 
Therefore, as a Christian, you must have such thoughts about the signs of the last day as if you were lying captive among enemies and murderers in a high tower, and your pious ruler should come and begin to besiege the tower with great power, so that everything should begin to fall around you. You would not be afraid of the noise and the cannonading, but would much more rejoice if you knew that it was for your redemption. Thus you should do here too, says Christ. Let it not terrify you that the world must bend and squirm. This is not intended for you, but for those against whom you have cried out. Therefore look upon this advent as the appearing of your redemption. For I come not to cast you into hell, but to deliver, deliver you from the injurious, sick, infirm, wicked world, to separate you from the devil and his murderous servants, and to place you among the angels where you shall no more suffer, but live in eternal glory." Such comfort is also imparted in the beautiful parable of the budding trees, which he gives them that they may all the better appropriate to themselves this consolation. In spring, he says, when winter ceases and the whole earth becomes new, when the cold departs and the warmth takes its place, when the dry trees become green and blossom again, tell me, how does all this begin? Is it not true that the buds first begin to swell, then to open? Then everyone says that winter's past and summer will soon be here. Let this parable be your teacher, and the trees in the field your book, that you may learn to know how to await the last day. For God has written this article of the last day and resurrection of the dead not only in books but also in trees and other creatures. As summer surely will follow when sap rises in the trees and they put forth leaves, so when the earth shall quake, the heavens tremble, and the sun and moon look dark and gloomy, then be no more afraid than you who are when the young leaves appear and summer's about to come. Such shines shall be to you like the sap and leaflets on the trees, that you may with joy look for the eternal summer, and know that there shall be now an end of your distress and anguish. For this wretched life on earth is like the unfruitful winter, when everything dries up, dies, and decays, but it shall be then have an end, and the beautiful eternal summer shall come, namely the kingdom of God, by which the kingdom of the devil shall be destroyed, on account of which you have had to suffer so much in this world. For in this world you must live among ungodly, wicked, false, pernicious people who blaspheme and slander the gospel and seek to bring about all manner of misfortune. This you must see and hear every day and may expect it to become still worse. From this I will redeem you by my coming, that you may no more see nor suffer such things. Even as Peter says of pious Lot, who in his day had to live among the bad people of Sodom, these caused him all manner of sorrow by their disgraceful life and tormented him, tormented his just soul from day to day by their unrighteous works and by sins which may not be mentioned, which he had to see and hear with innocent eyes and ears until they became too great and God could have no more patience. Then two angels came and led pious Lot out of the city. No doubt it was also a terrible sight for him to see how the heavens became black, how it lightened and thundered around him, how the clouds opened and began to rain down fire and brimstone, and how the earth was opened and everything sank away from his view. That Lot should not have been surprised at this, it is impossible. But he had this consolation, that this terrible manifestation was not on his account or meant for him, but for the Sodomites, who were wicked, presumptuous fellows and would not amend. They must not only be surprised at this fiery rain, but also perished in it and go down to the bottomless pit. But to pious Lot, it was like a beautiful tree which began to put out leaves and look green as an indication of summer. For he sees in it God's help and gracious deliverance from the ungodly. Thus also will it be with us at the last day, should we see to live to see it. 
It'll be terrible to behold when the heavens and the earth begin to be wrapped in flame. But a Christian must not look at the appearance, but hear how Christ explains it, namely, that it is a beautiful blossom, a young, thrifty branch, so that although nature may be terrified at this dreadful sight, the heart may nevertheless cleave to the word, strengthen itself against the external appearance, and say, Well, be not afraid, since it neither is nor means anything injurious, but is only that my Redeemer and redemption are near at hand. So now be welcome to me, O God, my dear Lord Jesus, and come, as I have my lifelong often prayed that thy kingdom might come, and the kingdom of the devil at last have an end. Whoever can thus receive the Lord Jesus will in a moment be translated to eternal glory, where he shall shine as the sun. In this way, our dear Lord Jesus teaches us rightly to regard the last day, that we may know what it is to us, and to what end we are to wait and look for its coming. The Pope preaches concerning Christ that he is a terrible judge whose wrath we must appease with our good works. Likewise, that we must call upon the saints and enjoy their intercession if we would not be damned. For thus they have everywhere painted Christ in the papacy, that he will come to judgment with a sword and rod in his mouth, both of which indicate wrath. But since Mary and John the Baptist stand at his side, they have sought their intercession and that of other saints, as pious Father Bernard also imagines that if Mother Mary shows her son her breasts, he cannot deny her anything. This is a sure indication that they did not rightly understand these words of our Lord, and thus the true knowledge of Christ was darkened, namely, that he is our Savior, Reconciler, Intercessor, Mediator, ordained of God, for whose sake we are to find grace and mercy with God, and that he will come, as he says in this gospel, not to terrify nor condemn those who flee to him, but to comfort, redeem, and save, and bless them, if in true faith and a holy life we look forward full of consolation to this blessed day. But he will judge and punish those who have not believed in him and who have mocked and troubled his Christians on earth. This he says, Believe firmly and doubt not and rejoice at my advent, for it shall be for your good that you shall be delivered from sin, the devil, death, and the world and saved forever through me. But there is one more thing at which timid consciences are much troubled. For our Lord says that the last day shall come suddenly, that it shall happen to men as to a little bird of the forest, which flies about in the morning, is hungry, hunts its food, hopes it will find it as hitherto, finds it, sits down, and is full of joy, but in an instant before it knows it, the net falls over it, and it is caught and killed. Pious God-fearing men take this to heart, and since they learn from their daily experience how soon man may fall, they are timid and fearful, for they think, who knows how this day may find you? Perhaps it may come at the time when you are least prepared, least expecting it, and lying in this or that sin. So it may happen that this day of rejoicing will be to you a day of everlasting sorrow. But in this case the Lord would not leave us without comfort, and teaches his Christians how to defend themselves against this anxiety, and says, Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day comes upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. Now this is also a very necessary lesson, which we should always keep in our hearts. The Lord does not forbid eating and drinking, nor does he tell us, like the Pope, to let everything lie and go into a cloister and become spiritual. No, 
eat and drink. This God allows. Seek after your food, too, and therefore God has commanded labor. But of this beware, lest at any times your hearts be so overcharged with all these things that you forget my advent. But watch, that is, wait every hour and moment, live in the fear of God and with a good conscience. Let this be first. After this pray also that you may escape all afflictions and distress and be deemed worthy to stand before the Son of Man, as this is also summoned up beautifully in the last two petitions of the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you do this, there will be no danger. Then the last day may find you at table or in bed, in church or the marketplace, waking or sleeping. It will be to you a day of salvation, for it will find you in the fear of God and under his protection. But here we must also know this, that we cannot pray to God nor call upon him in a proper manner if we are not willing to forsake those sins of which we know and to amend our lives. Therefore, true repentance belongs to an acceptable prayer. I say true repentance, and not that we beware of sins against our conscience, that is, that we do not knowingly and designedly follow an evil inclination against God's command. But trusting in God's goodness, pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that he would keep you in his fear, enable you through his Holy Spirit to avoid sin, and strengthen you in the true faith unto the end, that you may await this blessed day with joy and receive the Lord Jesus as your Redeemer with heartfelt confidence. Such a prayer is heard through Christ. Of this there is no doubt. And in these words, that you may be deemed worthy to escape, etc., God gives us the consolation that in the case of those who are converted to him and in their conversion call upon him in true faith, he will alleviate and to some extent remove those punishments and tribulations which shall befall the rest of mankind in order that the church may not perish in this distress and the pious not give way to sadness but may be lifted up by the consolation that God will help and sustain his church to the end. For although God is really angry on account of sin and punishes it terribly, nevertheless in this life he visits punishment and tribulation upon men, especially to this end, that they may thereby be admonished to repentance and be converted to him, and thus, although they have well deserved his just wrath, they may still find mercy, as St. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 11.32. When we are judged... We are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Therefore our Savior also gives us this admonition, that in this last great tribulation and distress of the church, we should, through prayer, turn to him as our refuge, and know that God will then cease from his anger in order that his church may not perish, but be sustained through all the punishments and in the destruction of the world, and finally be perfectly redeemed. And according to this admonition and promise, this is to be a daily exercise of faith and prayer, that they may truly comfort themselves with the assurance that God will not consume them in his wrath, but that even in wrath he will remember mercy. Therefore we should follow this advice and doctrine, and prepare ourselves properly for this gracious day of redemption. May our Lord and Redeemer Jesus Christ grant this to all of us. Amen. This has been Martin Luther's sermon on the second Sunday of Advent, preaching on Luke. Preaching on Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 36. For more Luther sermons and information about the Luther Sermon Podcast, visit the website of Hope Lutheran Church of Aurora, Colorado at www.hope-aurora.org.